Good morning, ECF. Uh, it's lovely to be with you guys. Firstly, a happy Father's Day to all fathers out there. I uh, hope you guys have a really special day with your families. I'm certainly thankful for a godly father um, who based his life on the Word of God, who helped me to choose Jesus and taught me to love him and to worship him and to serve him. Um, it stands in marked contrast to stats that we hear out of our own country that over the past five years, 62% um, of, of children under the age of 18 grew up in families without fathers, uh, and that 40% of, of women in our country are single mothers, versus a global average of 15%. It certainly speaks to a fatherless generation, um, and much need for, for the Lord Jesus Christ to challenge the hearts of, of men in our country. Having church in front of a camera, front of a TV, in front of a laptop still feels very weird, feels very wrong. But I'm not sure which is harder, speaking in front of a church or speaking to a camera. At least um, when you tell a joke in church and no one laughs, you know about it. But if I crack a joke here, well, I don't know if anyone's laughing at the jokes or not. So maybe it's better speaking to a camera. Another plus is that I get to wear my slops while I'm preaching and no one knows. Well, the Lord knows, but no one else knows. For the past uh, couple of weeks, we've been working our way through the One John in our Real Christianity series. And last week, Dave took us through testing the spirit, which helped us to tell the difference between a spirit of truth and a spirit of error. And he gave us two, two means to do that. The first was the confessing test, whereby we know what we are by what we say. And the second was the listening test, where we were encouraged as little children to listen to the Spirit of God um, and not be distracted by other voices that demand our attention. Today we get to look at love. There are a couple of problems that I managed to identify. There's probably way more, um, but there were a few that I identified. And no, I'm not going to do a Dr. Phil. The first problem that I found is that we really struggle to define it. We don't actually know what love is. In the summer of 67, not the summer of 69, the Beatles released All You Need Is Love, which quickly became one of their greatest hits. I think most people found that it wasn't just a great song. They found it was a philosophy that they could rally around. Um, we tried hard to create all these hashtags on social media that show us, show people that we understand all about love. But the reality is, we don't really understand it. We're actually very confused by it. We know it's important. We feel it's what life should be about and what it should look like. But we struggle to say what it actually means. The second problem comes about as a result of not being able to define it. Here's the problem. I can use love twice in the same sentence and they can mean two different things. For example, I love my running shoes and I also love my kids, but I don't love them in the same way. Sometimes at night, um, I walk into the kids' rooms. I love watching them breathe. I love looking at their peaceful faces, which are in marked contrast to what I see during the day. It's one thing I love about them. I don't, however, take out my running shoes and look at them and marvel at the React foam which is found in the midsole of my Nike Pegasus 35s. I might when I buy them, but once they're old and smelly, 
I don't look at them again. However, I never get tired of watching my kids. So whilst I love them both at the same time, the love is very different. The third problem that I found is that love is so fickle. At some point in the day, I feel really loved. And a few hours later, I can feel totally unloved. And no, it's got nothing to do with Tracy. Nothing has changed, but for some reason, I feel it has. Our views on love are limited and always changing. Maybe we find it easier to, to love others because we don't know everything about them. But we know ourselves. We know what's hidden in the deep recesses of our heart. And maybe we find that difficult to love. Maybe that's why we find uh, love to be fickle. Our views on love are so changeable. Today we're going to be reading from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. We are going to jump around a bit, um, but we are going to work our way through those verses. And you'll remember that this is, is written by the Apostle John, uh, the self-proclaimed disciple who Jesus loved. And in 1 John 1 verse 1, he spoke about having seen Jesus and touched Jesus and heard Jesus and spent, spent a few years with him, learning about how Jesus loved his Father and how he loved people. So let's read from 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, this is verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love, abides in God, and God abides in him. So the first point that I'd like to bring up is what God is. And we've just read it in verses 7 and in verses 16. And that is God is love. Love is mentioned 46 times in 1 John. And there's many attributes about God that we know from the Bible. You can probably list a good few of them sitting on your couches there. They include, amongst others, the fact that God is infinite, that he is good, that he is just, that he is merciful, that God is gracious, that he is omnipresent, he is everywhere, he is holy, he is perfect. This is one of the few times in the Bible that God is specifically described by one of his attributes. God is love. In other words, it is who God is. It is his character, his very essence and nature. He is incapable of anything else. Yes, he is holy. But his holiness is rooted in love, and vice versa. Yes, he is love, but his love is rooted in holiness. All of his attributes exist at once. At no point does he ever not display these attributes. What does that mean for us? Well, if this is one of God's attributes, then he loved us first. If God has been here since the beginning of time, and he is love, then he must have loved me before I came into being in 1978. I didn't love him first. He loved me. He also doesn't need to, us to love him in order to show love. His character is not based on us having to show love to him. He doesn't love us because he needs to love us. He loves us because he is love. We are the ones that always need something back in order to love. If God is love is his very nature, then it is also impossible for God to ever stop loving you. In other words, nothing you do will never stop God from loving you. 
because it is his very nature to be love. I was thinking about these points in the context of being a father. From the moment I saw the ultrasound and watched Hannah's development, I was fascinated. And when she was born, this little 2.5 kilogram bundle of perfection, I certainly didn't need to be told to love Hannah. She didn't know who I was at that stage. I wasn't important to her. I couldn't feed her. I wasn't very good at changing nappies. The point is, I loved her first, and I didn't have to wait for her to love me in order to love her. Similarly, when one of my kids does something wrong, that doesn't change how much I love them. I don't always like the behavior, but it, I still love them. The fact that there are boundaries to my behavior has no bearing on my love for them. In fact, it is impossible for me not to love my kids. I will always love them. If that is how love for my kids works in my melancholic, sensitive and sinful character, how much greater is God's love for us if it is his character and he is able to love perfectly? Well-known verses from Lamentations 3, verse 21 to 23. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Maybe we've been caught up in the wrong thinking. Maybe we've been caught up in the culture of thinking that we can earn God's approval and love by living well. Maybe we think it depends on who we are and what we've done. Here's the truth. Unless our understanding of love is found in God's nature and character, whatever version of love we create will be empty, shallow, temporary, and ultimately false. So what do you do when you don't feel love? What do you do when you don't feel like God loves you? Well, let's carry on reading in 1 John chapter 4, from verses 9 to 11. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So the first point we looked at is what God is, and that is God is love. The second point is what God did, and that is that God sent his son. So the defining characteristic of God is love, but he took it beyond just words. As 1 John 4 says, he manifested it. In other words, he made it public. He demonstrated it to us. The greatest expression of love that there could be. Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Sending Jesus into the world and his death on the cross was not prompted by people's love for God. They were prompted by God's love for people. I love what the commentator VSB says about the death of Christ being the propitiation. Propitiation was the mercy seat that placed on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant where the blood was sprinkled by the high priest to atone for or to cover the sins of the Israelites. VSB says this, Propitiation is something God does to make it possible for people to be forgiven. God is light, and therefore he must uphold his holy law. God is love, and therefore he wants to forgive and save sinners. How can God forgive sinners and still be consistent with his holy nature? The answer is the cross. 
There Jesus bore the punishment for sin and met the just demands of the holy law. But there also God reveals his love and makes it possible for people to be saved by faith. What does this mean for us? Well, John 3 verses 16 to 18 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, and whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So these first verses that most Christians learn from John 3 tell us of two groups of people. Those that believe in Jesus and what he did on the cross, and those people are not condemned. And there are those that do not believe in Jesus and what he did on the cross, and those people stand condemned. If you're not sure which group you belong to, maybe today is the day you need to make a choice. But if you are sure, then we are called to love one another. But we are not loving other people in order to get God to love us. We are not trying to gain approval from God by loving people. We are loving people in response to his attribute of love and his demonstration of love through the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And there is a test of his love, of this love. 1 John chapter 4 verses 19 to 21 says this, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. How much do you love people? Or is it easier just to love people that are similar to you? How quickly do you forgive? Or do you prefer keeping score? Is your love for others growing? And who have you shared Jesus with lately? Let's wrap this chapter up. 1 John chapter 4, jumping back to verses 12 to 17. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love, abides in God, and God abides in him. So we've seen what God is. God is love. We've seen what God has done. God has sent his son. And now point number three, what God is doing. God abides in us. The word abide comes up 21 times in 1 John. We know that God is love and we know that he sent Jesus. And now we're going to learn what God is doing. He wants to abide or to dwell with us. From walking with Adam in the Garden of Eden to walking with Enoch until he was no more. From dwelling in the tabernacle in the temple and finally, as the word became flesh, in John 1 verse 14, God has always wanted to abide with us and in us. And abide here, used six times in these verses alone, refers to our personal relationship with Jesus. This abiding is made possible by the Holy Spirit. We are now the temples that God lives in.
What do these verses mean for us? Well, abiding in God's love produces two characteristics, which are found in verse 16. A person grows in knowledge and a person grows in faith about God's love for them. As we abide in Christ, we should spend more time in fellowship with him. Our love for God should grow more and more. We should also grow in our love for other Christians and we should have a love for the lost. And as we share more of the Father's love with others, we should begin to experience and understand more of the Father's love. Carrying on to verses 17 and 18. It says, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So the fourth point is also what God is doing, and God takes away our fear um, in these verses. What do they mean for us? Well, as Christians, we don't have to fear as we have experienced the love of God through Jesus and what he did. We don't need to worry about dying and facing judgment, Hebrews 9.27, because there's no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8 verse 1. If you have received him and called on his name, he gives you the right to an inheritance and to be called children of God, John 1 verse 12. There is no punishment, therefore there is no fear. I love verse 17 which says, We have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in the world. The Father deals with us as he deals with his Son. Our sins were judged in Christ when he died on the cross. Isaiah 61 verse 10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. And Romans 8, famous verses from verses 38 to 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So today we've looked at what God is, and that is God is love. We've looked at what God did, and that is God sent his Son. And we've looked at what God is doing. The first thing he's doing is abiding in us, and the second thing he's doing is taking away the fear. All the disciples, with the exception of John, were martyred for their passion for Jesus and his gospel. Sometimes we think that John had the easiest deal of the disciples, but the reality is he would have heard about and possibly watched the death of his brother, as well as the deaths of his closest friends that he had spent time with. John MacArthur says that he would have suffered earthly anguish and persecution long after the others were already in glory. And yet the transformation in John's life is dramatic from being one of the sons of thunder, together with his brother James, who argued for one of the chief seats in glory, to being an advocate for love and for truth, and for living his life as a witness of the change that Jesus is able to make in a person's life. Maybe we need to take some time today to consider how God's nature is love, in spite of how you're feeling. Maybe we need to consider that he loves you very much, so much so that he sent Jesus in spite of how badly you've messed up, maybe we need to consider that he's willing to live in us through his spirit to make us more like Jesus 
and to take away all of our fear. Maybe the words of my grand's favourite song are a great way to end today. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me, all his wondrous compassion and purity. O thou spirit divine, all my nature refine, till the beauty of Jesus is seen in me. As we close in prayer, I'm going to end with Ephesians 3 verses 17 to 19. Shall we pray? Pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Lord, I pray that you would give us an understanding of your character of love. I thank you that you demonstrated your love for us by sending Jesus. And I thank you that you abide in us by your Spirit. I pray that you'd help us understand your love so that we can share it with a world that's desperately in need of you. Amen.